With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Southern Gothic is a podcast that explores the history behind some of the American South's darkest days, greatest mysteries, and most chilling ghost stories. Merritt Island, Florida, is best known as the home of the Kennedy Space Center, the NASA launch facility where dozens of historic missions have departed, including Apollo 11, which was the first to take man to the moon, the shuttle Discovery, and the Hubble Space Telescope. But while this immense, modern facility might define the island that sits just across the Indian River Lagoon from mainland Florida, ghost hunters travel there for an entirely different reason. To explore a graveyard that predates NASA by a century. The Georgiana Cemetery sits on the south side of the island on Crooked Mile Road, and it's tucked away in a residential area as if it were a hidden portal to another time. The quaint cemetery is one of the oldest in Brevard County and it certainly does have that vibe. Many of the tombstones are in various stages of weathered aging, some practically unreadable, and unlike modern cemeteries, there are no dedicated walkways, only worn paths through the oak trees that are beautifully adorned with Spanish moss. Surrounding the cemetery is a large iron fence with a gate bearing its name, but many who enter aren't necessarily coming to pay respects to some of the earliest settlers of the region who were buried here. Rather, they're coming in search of the paranormal. For years, folks have claimed to see orbs dancing through the night air or felt a presence watching them as they wandered among the graves. But most come hoping to either hear the wispy voice of a young woman beckoning from beyond or possibly even her apparition floating above the grounds. She's believed to be the spirit of a 19-year-old girl named Ethel Allen.
local legends surrounding Ethel Allen's grave is hardly one that came from folklore. As in 1934, this poor young woman was viciously murdered not far from where she's been laid to rest. And tragically, whoever committed that heinous act was never brought to justice. My name is Brandon Schecksnyder, and you are listening to Southern Gothic. November 21st, 1934, three men from Arab, Alabama were driving north on Dixie Highway near O'Galley in Melbourne, Florida, when they noticed a large amount of buzzard activity along the bank of the Indian River Lagoon. So with their interest piqued, the gentlemen decided to pull over and investigate. With the peaty soil clinging to their boots, they cautiously made their way to where the frenzied buzzards pecked and hissed at their food. But as they neared, the earthy smell of the brackish water gave way to an utterly foul stench, as what they found were the decomposing remains of what appeared to be a young woman. Immediately, the authorities were called, and what they found was that this unfortunate soul had suffered immense violence. Her throat had been slashed, and she'd been stabbed in both her forehead and at the base of her skull. The right side of her face had been crushed, and her upper front teeth had all been knocked out. One leg was almost completely detached from her body, and she was horrifically left almost entirely naked, save the top of one hose around her ankle and a 14-carat ruby ring on her finger. As if she had not suffered enough, whoever killed her, unsuccessfully tried to burn her body before abandoning it in the lagoon. Fortunately, she was able to be identified rather quickly. The young woman was Ethel Cool Allen. Ethel was only 19 years old at the time of her death. She was vivacious and incredibly sociable, a free-spirited petite redhead who stood at five foot three inches and weighed a mere hundred pounds. She had only just moved to the area three months prior after experiencing an awful tragedy herself when her boyfriend back home in Wakulla was struck by a freight train and killed. It was Ethel's landlady, Mrs. Gerald Finney, who helped identify her, which was then confirmed by the girl's ruby ring, a lower front broken tooth, and a tattoo located just above her left knee, which had the initials BK, surrounded by a rope knot, or possibly a heart. Finney told the authorities that Ethel had $20 in cash in her purse when she left to visit her mother back home on the night of November 17th. But neither Ethel's purse, the money, or even her clothes have ever been found. Due to the lack of physical evidence, 
Police Chief J.E. McClendon had to follow his only lead. It seemed that on the night of her disappearance, before Ethel had left for her mother's, she had been seen in the company of a dark-haired man from Pennsylvania named William or Billy Wilson. Described as five foot seven inches tall, about 165 pounds, and wearing, quote, inexpensive clothes, Wilson had apparently taken Ethel to both Jack's Tavern and the City Point Inn on that fateful night. With this knowledge, Sheriff Roy Roberts immediately established a $50 reward for either information on Wilson or anything that might lead to an arrest for the person responsible for Ethel's murder. According to Sheriff Roberts, Wilson is known to have driven a Ford V8 two-door sedan with Pennsylvania license plates. The automobile had red wire wheels equipped with a trunk on the rear and a heater inside the car. The tactic worked, and soon enough, Wilson's landlord came forward. It seemed that within hours of the discovery of Ethel Allen's body, the suspect was said to have backed his car up to the home that he occupied on Barton Avenue in Rockledge and filled it with his belongings from the house. But the landlord didn't know much else. He said that Wilson had only lived there for about a month, had paid his rent in advance, and that Wilson's wife and son had moved out only a few days earlier. Captain Ira Lambert, a retired yachtsman who lived a few doors down, also reported suspicious activity, claiming that he passed by the house on the day Ethel's body was discovered and not only witnessed Wilson loading household items into his car, but also emptying some sort of liquid from a bottle into the yard before leaving the area only a few hours later. Unfortunately, when Sheriff Roy Roberts had the house searched, there was no evidence that Ethel Allen had ever been there. However, handwriting, fingerprints, and discarded mail were collected from the scene. Wilson's car also seemed to be a dead end for the investigation. When Sheriff Roberts contacted authorities in Pennsylvania, he was informed that there were over 300 William Wilsons in the state with registered automobile tags. A search of the scene where her body was discovered didn't help much either. Deputies combed through the banks of the lagoon, hoping to find clues to her killer's identity or even the exact location of where Ethel was murdered or burned. But nothing was found. In an attempt to explain why his office was encountering such difficulties locating Mr. Wilson, Sheriff Roberts tried to shift the blame. My office was not notified by the constable of the Oak Galley or the Melbourne districts about the body until six hours after the remains of the Allen girl was found, which handicapped my office in the efforts to detain the man last seen with the young woman for questioning. Several young women who saw Ethel and Wilson together that night were questioned at length by the sheriff and eventually it was uncovered that the last person to see Ethel Allen alive, aside from Wilson or her killer, 
was a man named James Sheely. Sheely was the night watchman at a local citrus packing house called Acme Packing Plant and was purportedly a good friend of Ethel's. He told the authorities that at around 3 a.m. on Sunday morning, November 18th, Ethel came to the furnace room to talk to him, leaving a man purportedly named Billy waiting in the car. Sheely said he didn't see the driver, but the man must have been patient because the pair talked for almost a half an hour, and he said that Ethel told him, quote, I'm heading to Wakulla to see my mama and Jimmy. Now don't be jealous, it's only my brother. But later it was discovered that Ethel Allen did not have a brother named Jimmy. So in March of 1935, a grand jury in Brevard County, Florida, issued an indictment for the murder of Ethel Allen against William Wilson. But the problem was that William Wilson was not his real name. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As shocking as the vicious murder of Ethel Allen was, the police investigating the crime never got justice for the young woman, as their sole suspect had not only fled the state, but was also apparently using an alias. But while this man, known in Florida as William Wilson, was never brought to trial for the murder, his identity was eventually uncovered. He was a lifelong criminal named Willard Borton. In 1930, several years before Ethel's murder, Borton was picked up in New Jersey on assault and battery charges 
but served very little time. Working from one coast to another, Barton's life of crime began at the age of 11 after spending much of his childhood living in one reformatory after another, eventually playing out like a Hollywood gangster movie. As a result, he was known by several aliases, as well as nicknames like the Phantom Burglar of Bel Air, the Hollywood Cat Burglar, and the New Jersey Devil. His typical crime was stealing and fencing jewelry from the rich and famous, but he also did a short stint in prison for vehicular manslaughter. Then, in May of 1934, Borton was arrested in New Jersey, but shortly after a visit from a mysterious woman, he picked the lock on his cell and escaped, and unbeknownst to the New Jersey police, he made his way south to Brevard County, Florida. Obviously, because of this, Sheriff Roy Roberts was convinced that it was in fact William Borton who was responsible for the murder of Ethel Allen. So Sheriff Roberts sent examples of Wilson's handwriting to the police in New Jersey, and they confirmed that it matched Borton's. In the meantime, Borton had gotten as far away from Florida as he possibly could, making his way all the way out to Hollywood, California, where he lived under the alias Ralph Graham. There, he stole from all sorts of Hollywood legends of the day. Folks like Tyrone Power, Carol Lombard, Gary Cooper, Frank Capra, and Barbara Stanwyck. At the home of Frank Capra, Borton broke in through a second-floor window only to find himself in a bedroom with a sleeping baby. Mrs. Capra walked in, to which he then pulled out his gun and said he was there to rob the place. But for some reason, after seeing the sleeping baby, he quickly left the way he'd entered. At another burglary, he nicked a refrigerator, and on another, he even stole a grand piano. Borton was quite the professional. But then, in March of 1939, he was finally caught and sentenced to life in Folsom Prison. Unfortunately, when he was questioned by California police, Borton denied having anything to do with the murder of Ethel Allen. Somehow, Borton found a way to escape from Folsom in 1942, but he was caught only seven hours later. This, of course, didn't stop the lifelong criminal, though, as in 1947, he attempted yet another escape, this time in cahoots with five other prisoners. But it was foiled. Of course, they say that if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And in October of 1949, William Borton was stabbed three times while working in the prison barber shop. He succumbed to his wounds without ever facing charges in Florida for the brutal slaying of Ethel Allen. While almost a century has passed since Ethel's vicious murder, her memory has not been forgotten, as many claim that her spirit continues to haunt not only the Georgiana Cemetery where she was buried, but also a restaurant in Rockledge.
now known as Ashley's Restaurant and Bar. The establishment was built all the way back in the 1920s and has been known by a number of different names, from the Loose Caboose to the Mad Duchess, the Sparrowhawk, and even Jack's Tavern. The name that it bore when Ethel Allen was seen there on the night she disappeared. Over the years, patrons and employees of Ashley's Restaurant and Bar have reported supernatural encounters there. Dishes have been known to move or fall on their own. Flickering lights, levitating silverware, and hushed, disembodied voices have been observed there. Others experience a shoving sensation when climbing the stairs or visiting the restroom. And some people have even reported seeing shadowy figures reflected in the mirrors and windows. Legend has it that three different spirits were attached to Ashley's. One is believed to have been a male employee who used to live on the second floor. Another is a young girl who was struck by a car or a train just outside the building. But the third is exactly who you'd expect. Ethel Cool Allen. Surprisingly, Ashley's embraces the lore surrounding this purported haunting, and their menus even include an excerpt from Arthur Meyer's The Ghostly Register, printed under the heading, The Haunted Powder Room. Judy Cowles, who is the manager from 1979 to 1984, is a prime witness to the eerie happenings. One night after closing, she went to the ladies' room to check it before leaving. She was using one of the two stalls when she happened to notice an unusual pair of legs and feet under the opening to the other stall. They were wearing high-heeled, high-buttoned boots, quite unstylish for the times. When she came out of her stall, the door to the other stall was open, and no one was there. But she hadn't heard anyone leave. A number of women have reported seeing the image of a young woman wearing 1920s clothing in the mirror of the ladies' room and the water in the water basin sometimes comes on unexplainably. But the ladies' room does not have exclusive rights to the folklore of the restaurant. Things seem to happen all over the place. Today, Ashley's Restaurant and Bar still retains its original Tudor design. And even though there is no forensic evidence to prove that Ethel might have been murdered in the restaurant, there's no doubt that it was one of her favorite hangout spots. Yet, while some establishments might see this reputation as a negative, clearly Ashley's does not. And they've become well-known due to the purported haunting, not only printing the story of Ethel on their menus and hanging her photo for all to see, but also by hosting a weekly event with ghost hunters. Unfortunately, the murder of Ethel Allen remains unsolved after all of these years. Armchair detectives are split by the many theories of what happened to her on that November night, but most believe that the person who killed her was indeed Willard Borton, the career criminal. After all, the sheriff was able to determine beyond a reasonable doubt that the William Wilson seen in the company of Ethel Allen the night that she died was the nefarious Borton. And he did in fact suspiciously leave town within three hours 
of the discovery of her body. But there was little to no physical evidence proving that he killed her. Others believe that James Sheely, the night watchman at the citrus packing plant, was responsible for Ethel's death. The theory is that Sheely flew into a jealous rage when he realized that Ethel was being driven to Wakulla by another man. But this theory seems lacking in evidence. If this were the case, wouldn't Borton have gone into the packing plant looking for Ethel when she didn't return? And if he knew that Ethel never came out of that building, wouldn't he have pointed investigators to James Sheely and the Acme plant to relieve some of the suspicion from himself? Of course, someone else could have been responsible as well. Someone who had never made it onto the police's radar. Today, no one knows for sure where Ethel Allen was murdered, why she was murdered, what happened to her belongings, or most importantly, who was to blame. Chances are we'll never know the truth, but her memory lives on in the local lore that claims her spirit still wanders, not only the cemetery where she was laid to rest, but also the last place she was ever seen alive. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you are listening to Southern Gothic. Southern Gothic is an independent podcast produced by Southern Gothic Media. This week's episode was researched and written by Loretta Allen and edited by Brandon Schecksneider. If you're a fan of the show and would like more content, be sure to join us over on Patreon or become a premium subscriber on the Apple Podcast app, where you'll not only receive access to both ad-free and monthly premium episodes, but also help this show continue to grow. For more information on Southern Gothic, be sure to visit southerngothicmedia.com today. And as always, thanks for listening. Lucky Lady Shacks. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. What's something you learned in history class that you feel like wasn't the whole truth? Better yet, What's something you didn't learn at all that was omitted completely? That's what I like to call redacted history. My name is Andre White, the host of the Redacted History Podcast, the place where history's forgotten events, heroes, and villains get their story told, one episode at a time. The Redacted History Podcast. Real history never dies. Stream the Redacted History Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts.